Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. This show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 9, These Tales That People Tell Me As this episode drops, it is just after Christmas. While it may seem strange to many people today, sharing ghost stories used to be a part of the traditional Christmas celebration, a fact that's even referenced in the lyrics to the song Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Indeed, the most famous and popular of Christmas fiction, Charles Dickens' novella A Christmas Carol, is steeped in this tradition, with the protagonist visited by various supernatural entities, the last of which is nothing short of terrifying. In keeping with that tradition, in this episode I will be sharing a few different stories that people have told me over the years. Each was shared face-to-face, and I suspect that they were shared for a variety of reasons, though entertainment is the most likely. Regardless, in hopes of resurrecting the Christmas tradition of sharing ghost stories, here's a smattering of tales that people have told me over the years. Story 1. Red Eye. Oakhurst Cemetery, Oakhurst, California. Around eight years ago, I was working near the town of Oakhurst, California, which is along Highway 41 on the way to Yosemite National Park. I walked into the Mini Mart across the street from my hotel carrying my camera bag. Back then, I did a lot of hobby photography. And the cashier behind the counter and I got to talking. After a few minutes of conversation about different types of cameras and the kinds of photography that we enjoyed, he told me the following story. I haven't been out of the cemetery at night in years. Not since one night. Several years ago, when I was out there walking after dark, I saw something moving in front of me, just some weird, dark shape. I took out my camera and took a couple of pictures. When I looked at the pictures on my camera screen, I saw a blood-red eye just looking at me. I headed home and downloaded the pictures, but I kept them on my camera for a little while. Every time that I'd show them to someone, they'd just say, Dude, you gotta get those pictures off of your camera. I did go back at night once, I volunteered for the sheriff's department, and they had me out there videotaping one night. I was out there for about half an hour, but I didn't see anything. Commentary When I was younger, I found people were often willing to talk about their strange experiences, and I loved hearing the stories. But as I've gotten older, I found that people telling their stories face-to-face seems to have become somewhat less common. I think some of this is just a matter of age. As I get older, I find fewer opportunities to meet entirely new people, and thus less chance to hear their stories. Another part is the tendency we all seem to have now in the era of social media to exist in our own echo chambers, and thus not have to deal with anyone who may question us. In other words, someone who may have been willing 30 years ago to share a tale of a wild experience with a stranger may now reserve it for the paranormal Facebook group that they're a member of, and not someone who might not believe them. Rather like how many people have reverted to only conversing about politics with people who they know already agree with them. The end result is that since the early 2000s, I have found that I collect most of the ghost stories that I can find from the internet, and no longer from one-on-one interactions. 
which, frankly, I find a bit sad. For someone with my interests, the internet can be a treasure trove of stories, and I very much appreciate that. But writing, and often copying and pasting stories, leads to them becoming somewhat stuck in their form and not changing and developing as folklore should. Now, it should be said that the internet is not without some interesting tendencies of its own, as concerns ghostly folklore. The advent of internet phenomena such as creepypasta, where people write stories that the readers pretend to be real while knowing that they are not, somewhat like the fanbase for professional wrestling, has bled over into the rest of the internet, where readers aren't in on the joke, with creations such as the Slender Man, for example, thus creating a new supernatural folklore as people who simply aren't aware of the origins of these stories take them at face value and don't ask some pertinent questions. Also, people telling stories on platforms such as YouTube and TikTok has resulted in new venues for people to share spooky tales, and that's led to some new and interesting changes to and warping of these stories. The folklore does continue to evolve, just perhaps in some different ways. Whatever joys the sharing of stories online may bring, and it does bring some, and regardless of how much sharing stories on video sites and message boards may encourage a communal ownership and development of those stories, it also makes the collecting of them a screen-based enterprise rather than one managed by talking to people when they are in the mood for the macabre. I love the way that these platforms allow for further development of folklore, but they don't replace sitting next to someone and having them relay a bizarre tale, so I was grateful to have a chatty cashier wanting to tell me about something weird. I have no idea whether the cashier was just trying to tell a tale to a tourist. Oakhurst bills itself as the gateway to Yosemite, and the town is full of tourists going to or from Yosemite throughout the year. So while I was not a tourist, he can certainly be forgiven for thinking otherwise. Or if he genuinely had a weird experience and just wanted to share it with someone. However, I enjoyed the fact that, for a bit of a change, I was once again being told a ghost story rather than having to hunt one down and read one or watch a video. Story 2, A Haunted House in North Dakota A former co-worker of mine told me about a woman who he used to work with, and she had the following experience during her childhood in North Dakota. Every night, as she was in bed, she would hear whispers, as if someone or someones were trying to talk to her. The voices seemed to be trying to get her attention as she was trying to go to sleep. She was never able to quite make out what they were saying, but they were unmistakably human voices. In this house, objects would also turn up missing, only to appear again later. For example, her mother had bought her a pair of shoes for a dance recital, but one of them went missing immediately before the performance. In a hurry, she grabbed an old pair of shoes and left the single new shoe in her room. On returning home from the recital, both of the shoes were sitting next to each other in the living room. On another occasion, a sweater went missing, and she went to the laundry room to look for it. On returning upstairs, she found the sweater folded in her drawer. She was constantly afraid, but never got the impression that the force was evil or malicious. It just seemed to want her attention, but she didn't want to give it. Commentary I love these sorts of accounts. After he told me about his friend's experience, my coworker asked what I thought. I explained that her experiences were very much classic haunted house experiences. They were eerie, but there was no clear story to them. They were just things that happened. Importantly, none of the events seemed designed to creep out, frighten, or impress the story's audience, but rather to simply describe an odd thing that happened. 
In his book Supersense, which is a terrible name for a book, but the book is still worth reading, psychologist Bruce Hood describes the elements that make religious stories memorable. Drawing from the Bible, he points to stories such as Jesus turning water into wine or feeding a large crowd with a small amount of fish and bread. In each case, he points out the fact that the setting of the stories is mundane, and the miracle, while important, is small and easily understood by the reader. Importantly, the supernatural event falls close enough to the realm of the possible that it doesn't strain the credulity of someone hearing the story. In this way, he argues, these religious stories make their point and are easily remembered and pondered by the audience, which leads to them being particularly moving and important. I think something similar may be at work in ghost stories such as this one. The story takes place in the most mundane of places, someone's home, and the symptoms of the haunting are not the high pyrotechnics of many a Hollywood ghost tale, which is why most ghost story films are frankly horrible, but rather are events that all of us can relate to and understand. Importantly, the symptoms of the haunting, while alleged to be unnatural, fall close enough to the mundane that we don't call the credibility of the person telling us the events into question. This makes them more believable, and therefore more effective and, to some degree, scarier. Story 3. A Small Town Haunted House in Indiana The third story for this episode comes from an old friend that I fell out of touch with years ago. When I was a kid, there was an old house near the farm where I lived. It was abandoned and had been so for a long time. One day, a friend and I decided to investigate. We found a way in and looked around the place. There was furniture there and various stuff that belonged to whoever had lived there, but it was all dusty and kind of messed up. We had this creepy feeling the entire time we were there, as if we were being watched, and it really creeped us out. After a little while, we got pretty scared and we had to leave. As we left, we looked back at the house, and in the window, on the top floor, we saw an old woman looking at us, watching us go. She looked angry. I know what you're thinking, but nobody could have gotten into the place while we were in there. She hadn't been there before. She had to have been a ghost. Commentary The person who told me this story grew up in a small town in rural Indiana. And, like the kids from every town I know of, including my own hometown, they had their local haunted house. In this case, it was an abandoned or assumed abandoned farmhouse. These locations are often the object of legend trippers, usually kids or adolescents looking for a thrill to impress their peers or to perform a dare. Typically, these excursions are harmless, though they may result in property damage if the legend trippers are of a malicious bent. However, if the location is not as abandoned as it is thought, the legend trippers may find themselves running afoul of trespassing laws. I have a feeling that this story is really more about misdemeanor trespassing than a spectral encounter, but it does adhere to many of the elements of the classic ghost story, and I thought I would include it here. Story 4. The Phantom Hand this is another story from a former co-worker. It was told to a group of us as we were driving out to a work site one morning around uh, 12 or so years ago. I lived for a time in Richmond, Virginia. One night, while lying in bed, I felt a hand grab my ankle. After a moment, it let go. 
I looked down to see what was going on, and I saw a hand slowly sinking below the edge of the mattress, as if someone was under the bed. I cowered for a few moments, but finally worked up the courage to look under the bed, and when I did, it was empty. Nothing and no one there. I ran out of the room and into the next room where my housemates were talking. As soon as they saw me, one of them said, Wow, you look like you've seen a ghost. Commentary When I first heard this story, I loved it. But in writing what would eventually become this episode, I wasn't sure what to say in the commentary. After all, it isn't tied to a particular storied location, nor is it part of local folklore. The story doesn't seem to serve any particular social purpose, and discussions of near-sleep hallucinations, including but not limited to sleep paralysis, is a larger topic, which I'm likely to get into in a future episode. But damn, it's a good story. And really, it has a few important things in common with all of the other stories presented in this episode. For starters, it's short which is not a requirement for a good ghost story, but it does help the teller to keep the attention of the audience. And there is another element, the balancing of the creepy with the mundane. I've commented on this previously. Shift too far in one direction, and the story becomes dull and uninteresting. Shift too far in the opposite, and it becomes just unbelievable. In this case, I think that an important element is that the hand was not simply felt, but seen. See, if my coworker had simply stated that he felt something grip his leg, I would have nodded my head, collected the story in my personal notes, and not given it much further thought. If he had claimed to have seen something under the bed, well, it might have been creepy, but it could just as easily have left me rolling my eyes. But feeling it, then seeing it, and then having it vanish? Well, when he told this story, everyone in the work truck shivered just a bit when that part of the story was told. And it helped that the storyteller used his own hand to illustrate how the phantom hand had moved. It was creepy. It was unnerving. And you could tell by the grin on his face that he loved the effect that this story was having on us. I believe that the stories that I have presented in this episode provide a sample of what makes for good stories to tell around the campfire, or around the kitchen table, or on the couch when you're just trying to creep out your friends. Each is a bit unusual, but not so outlandish as to be unbelievable. Each is short enough to be easily remembered, but has enough detail to anchor it to tangible things. They could easily have been made up by the teller, possibly even made up on the spot, but each is mild enough to leave you wondering if the teller may truly have experienced what they saw. And if they did, whether it is truly a supernatural event or simply something that they misperceived or misunderstood. And that uncertainty makes them just a bit creepier. Each is an effective story that leaves you wanting a bit more, rather than thinking that the teller is simply full of it, even if that is the case. Sometimes, less is more. If only film producers could learn these lessons, most ghost story films would be greatly improved. As I said at the beginning, Christmas used to be an important time for sharing one's own ghost stories. I hope that hearing these tales encourages you to want to share your own. Tell them to the people around you. At the end of 2020, we could all use a safe scare to raise our spirits. If you like, feel free to send them to me. And whatever you celebrate, even if it is just getting out of the hellscape that was 2020, I wish you a very happy holidays. Thank you for joining me. If you have heard a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, 
please visit the Ghost Anthropology blog for transcripts, show notes, and more information at kmmamedia.com. That's kmmamedia.com. Until next time, have a wonderfully spooky night. Spooky!